0: Welcome to Subtle on the Sofa, the podcast from IC, the impactful, subtle educational enterprise collective, which is dedicated to sharing, exploring, and engaging with subtle in higher education. Hosted by Dr. Kaya Frank, myself, each episode features an informal and relaxed interview with someone working in higher education spaces. As this is the first interview, we have invited along uh, the co-founders of IC, and that's Earl Abrahamson. Professor of Teaching and Learning. He's had an upgrade since we recorded this interview. And also Peter De Sina, who is an Assistant pro- Associate Professor in Teaching and Learning at the University of Hertfordshire. As this is very early in the process of podcasting, please bear with me as I sort out teething experiences and teething difficulties when it comes to both recording and editing. I'm excited to have you along for the ride and interested in anything you have to say You can find information about how to contact us and engage further with iSeek in
1: the podcast information section. This is the first episode, and because it's our first episode, we've got all three members of the iSeek team here in order to introduce themselves and tell you a little bit more about who they are and what they do. This will include me talking about myself, but I won't start with just my voice. So if I can hand over to Earl and Peter, the best. The first question is: What are your names? What are your job titles? And what got you into the world of subtle?
2: Thank you, Kai. It's wonderful to be I'm here and wonderful to be with three, with two other val- valued colleagues, colleagues that I've learned a lot from, and colleagues that I'm hoping to learn a lot with. So my name is Earl Abrahamson. I'm one of the founding members with you two of the IC Group. So, my job title, I'm based at the University of Hertfordshire, where I'm an associate prof in learning and teaching. I'm also a principal fellow of Advanced HE and a national teaching fellow. And I've been recognized by the International Society for the Scholarship of Teaching and Learning as one of their first fellows. So, what got me started in SATO is quite Exciting journey because I didn't know what SOTTLE was many years ago. And I'm still trying to grapple with my colleague Peter about what SOTTLE is and what the future for SOTTLE holds. But I recall writing an article around the broad topic of why do our students call us, sir? And I was interested in why certain students or groups of students refer to me as sir, which is a bestowed title in the UK. And that pay that article paper got accepted to one of the first ISOTL events I went to. And it was the journey and the informal chats I had with colleagues at lunch at tea that got me excited about what the potential for active inquiry into my own teaching methods could mean in the future and how through a network and a community of practice, I would be able to shape improve and even transform the way I taught. So thinking about the impact on students, but also around how I could support staff in creating a positive student journey. I'll pause there and hand over to others to introduce themselves.
3: Thanks El. My name is Peter Decena. I'm an associate professor in learning and teaching at the University of Hertfordshire. But I'm also a historian and I'm a senior fellow at the Institute of Historical Research in the University of London. And uh, I think it's important because we need to think about how we well, use, use our disciplinary expertise in relationship to, to learning and teaching. And that's really, I suppose, a background to how I got into SOTL. Because for me, SOTL is two things. There's SOTL, the movement, but there's also the SOTL, the, the range of practices. And I'm going to talk about the two deliberately separately. I... I was and have been involved in teacher education for 40 years. And so I was involved with SOTL, the practices, before I discovered SOTL, the movement, because the number of things that were going on in teacher education and in education departments more generally – is what subtle is about and i learned an enormous amount by working in education departments from people who are primary education practitioners working in reflective practice working in curriculum development working to engage the research in educational methods and uh, children's learning in how to reform the curriculum and also how to make that happen, not just for your own students in universities, but also in schools. And so it was a way of influencing governments to change their policies when at that time in the 1980s and 1990s, the national curriculum was putting teachers in fear that they had to work to a prescribed curriculum. And so uh, I'm going to say that I did SOTL before I discovered the SOTL movement. When I uh, became the Higher Education Academy's lead for archaeology, history, archaeology, and classics, then I became more formally engaged with Sottle, the movement. Uh, And, of course, I could see that they were doing all the things that the people I'd been working with for 20 or plus years had been doing and were still doing. And so it seemed a natural relationship to have with them because i could understand what they were doing uh, and i was interested particularly in the ways in which it compared with what was happening in where i was at the time leeds and york with what was going on in australia in the united states and in other places where SOTL is as a movement really quite embedded
1: so i guess that leaves me and amongst uh, these illustrious academics in SOTL, i would def- i'm i'm an ecr an early careers researcher, quite literally. So I haven't been teaching that long, only about five or six years on, um, the standard short-term t- contracts, what's called visiting lecturing. And as part of this, I took part in the professional development that our university offers. It's called CPAD. Um, and when I started doing this, it was, it was talking a lot about, like you said, Peter, what I didn't necessarily recognize or call Subtle, or the scholarship of teaching and learning um, but it was stuff that was kind of innately familiar to me and um, as you said I think that I'd become I'd be more familiar with the idea of practices of teaching and learning before I realized that there was any theory behind it or really that there was a movement my dad was a teacher so I remember that when Ofsted were coming in I would be sat with him whilst he's working on his lesson plans he would tell me all about like learning objectives lesson plans assessments continuing assessment formative assessments he didn't necessarily use language like that but that's what he was talking about i would like sit and see what he was marking and how he gave feedback i'd hear him talk about like when he was working with students who had a range of different needs and he was a technology teacher so the way that he taught was often quite different to what i was used to um, as someone who excelled in more academic practices and so, when I started doing my um, courses at the University of Hertfordshire, uh, looking at improving my teaching so that I could become a fellow of the Higher Education Academy, really, um, this is when I started putting all those things I'd absorbed as a child into practice. So, I'm now a lecturer in English Literature at the University of Hertfordshire. And this is in no small part because last year I took part in Earl and Peter's module on the course and it was linking pedagogic theory to practice. And it was the thing that explicitly talked about subtle and really made me start connecting the dots. So I'm still, as I said, very early on in this journey. I'm doing a lot of reflecting on what I do in the classroom, but it's been one of the most exciting things for me because as I always sort of say to people, the thing that I've learned most is how to lean into my strengths and how to work, make them work most effectively and efficiently in supporting my students in their learning. The other, I guess, big influence in my life at the moment is I have small children at home, and that has completely changed everything I thought I knew about how learning works and about what learning should look like because I'm surrounded by people learning at an insanely high rate, and yet how they learn is through play. And what appears to be magic, if I'm honest with you, because I'm not sure what they're learning, but yeah, that's my background. What I'd like to move on to next, really, is as you sort of mentioned, Peter, SOTL's really integrated and embedded in other in other countries um, and other forms of higher education. And for many people, it might be quite a new term that they're coming. To understand in the UK context. So I guess what I'd like you to answer, and I will also add my thoughts if it feels appropriate, is why do you think subtle is important or even integral in higher education?
3: Again, there are probably two reasons. One is to do, I suppose, with the mechanics of Educational practice and university systems. And that is that it raises the profile, literally, of systematic inquiry into educational practice. Uh, and therefore it gives it value. And sometimes the people in grey suits who are paid telephone number salaries need to be able to see something that has a function. So I, I know that's probably a rather jaundiced view of it. But what it is, is that, that SOTL is a, a convenience umbrella for many people in university to see what the importance is of educational and inquiry. So that, that's one thing. But the other thing it might seem more altruistic, and it's, it's the reason why teachers are teachers, is that it allows them to think carefully about what it is they do, how it is they can do it, how they can do it better. And how they can actually reflect on what's being done with the people that they teach. And I and I use the, the very general phrase phrases here because subtle can and should be done at every educational phase. You're you're talking about your children, for example, and that's where I would come from as someone who worked in teacher education for 17 years. And I, I don't see that there is much of a difference in terms of the processes of reflection, thinking about educational inquiry, some of the best pedagogic research and practice is carried out in primary and secondary schools. And in fact, one of the things that I have beaten the drum about is that really in higher education, people, some people need to get off their high horse because the good practice is not sitting in university practice, it's sitting elsewhere. Probably that's a bit of a convoluted answer, but really it's two things. It's about subtle recognising the importance of systematic inquiry into educational research and practice and also the research and the
2: practice itself.
1: Great answer. And I'd quite agree. Earl, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, so just to pick up on a few points that Pete has raised, I think, importantly, at the start, they are multi… Faceted ideas around what subtle is and what it's not. But the understanding, the steps on how to become a subtler, for want of a better phrase. We need to go back to the early work of a researcher by the name of Ernest Boyer, 1990. He spoke about four ways in which the academy can engage with scholarship. So the first one is to discover then integrate, apply, and the final, the highest level is scholarship of, of teaching, which later became of learning too. So I fully agree that the the underpinning question we should be asked is why do we teach? And do we teach simply to exchange ideas, to instruct? Or is it about because we care deeply about the students we teach and we want to impact in a positive way? So, for me, subtle is a framework as well as a practice, as Peter said. But for me, the underlying or the way in which I see subtle is probably best described within a model that a colleague called Peter Felton in 2013 Exposed, and this was there were five central pillars of good, subtle pra- practice. And the first one was that it should be an inquiry into student learning. The second one, which is now becoming the focal point, and especially for our SOTL conference of 2023, that our SOTL should be grounded within a context. Context matters. The methods we use within our inquiry and scholarship should be robust. Then the next important pillar for me is that it's in partnership with students. And the final point, which really defines what SOTL is, is that if we keep subtle to ourselves, a lot would argue, Krieber, Hutchinson, that that is not subtle. In order for subtle to truly be subtle, we need to share those findings in appropriate ways. That could be the article that we write, the blog we write, the artifact, the podcast, the webpage, but it's ways of, of um, sharing. So for me, subtle is important as a framework because it allows me to ask questions about what works. How do I d- understand that what I do works? And finally, visions of what I call the future. In other words, through what I pilot as working well in partnership with, with them students, is there a mechanism to change practice, not only within a course, but within a school Within a higher education center or from a global point of view, because there are multi levels that come into play when we design and decide on what SOTL means within context and in culture as well. Over to you, Kaya, for your views on SOTL. Well, I
1: was just sort of sat there enthralled. I think this is really interesting. And again, Each of the points that you guys are raising could be um, very much an episode in themselves. I think the idea of separating that concept of framework and practice is really, really key and really important. For me, I think the big reason why I think it's important is so that people like me don't end up reproducing the ways that they learn without reflecting and challenging what those were built on. So um, because you can't see me, um, you may be able to hear from my voice that I'm I'm reasonably well spoken. So I'm like middle class. I'm very traditionally educated. I went to a state grammar school um, and then I went to a Russell Group university to do my BA and my MA. I'm white, I'm cis, I'm straight, I'm I'm ticking all the boxes apart from the fact that I'm a woman in terms of and to be honest women are quite highly represented in education in terms of privilege and the way that I learned at university worked brilliantly for me that I would I'd would never critique the idea of sitting in a lecture hall and making notes and then going off to the student bar or wherever I was going to meet up with my friends to have a chat and then going to the library but what I very much realized when I started working at the University of Hertfordshire, which is um, a widening access university, was that all everything that I came into university with meant that I already knew how it worked. I already walked in and I sort of walked in and I thought, yes, this is where I belong. This is what the, the lecturers expect me as a student. They're happy to do with me. I'm, I, I push myself, I'm driven, I'm a Taipei personality, I'm that kind of thing. And I have the face and the voice of what you're expecting, Um, even down to the piercings and tattoos that every humanities student kind of has to have. And I would have probably never reflected that there was any other way of teaching or that there was a better way of teaching. And I probably would even have said that I expected students to sort of get on board with that. And if you couldn't, that wasn't really the fault of the education system. But when I started working at the University of Hertfordshire, I had every pretext, every thought that I had coming in completely challenged. And then when I actually started learning about teaching and learning and how you can make it more interactive and how you can make it more accessible and really challenging my thoughts, a whole world opened. And I was like, I've always kind of known that Teaching and learning should be more fun, and there should be more engagement, and there should be more activities, and there should be changes in assessment, and we shouldn't just be trying to assess, um, you know, assess one simple academic model. I kind of already knew that, but I'd had that removed from me because I was a high achieving student and because I conformed to expectations. So for me, I think why subtle is so integral in higher education is it. It makes it makes it possible for us to reach more people in a more meaningful way, and it is a challenging time to be teaching. When is it not? I think it's subtle for me was very much a thing that allowed me to realise how I could meet those challenges, um, and that actually how I could find my sessions really fulfilling, which is what I always tend to find. And there's always a lot of laughter and joy. I. I don't think there's ever been a day when I've stepped out of the classroom not feeling better than when I uh, went in. Thinking about how we can easily and quickly engage with subtle, or if not quickly, efficiently engage with subtle in our practices, what do you think has been the most useful or the favourite thing that you've discovered or engaged with? What's been a light bulb moment for you?
3: Well, not necessarily a light bulb moment, but the one that I've most engaged with is Decoding the Disciplines. And it's because when I discovered this, and it was a book that I picked up when I was book shopping in America, it was written by mostly historians. And it was exactly how I'd been teaching history for 30 years. In other words, taking the subject down into its component parts so that people could understand bit by bit in order to master a task. And uh, it was that recognition that an important component for me of the scholarship of teaching and learning, in other words, decoding the disciplines, was practiced elsewhere very effectively on a day to day basis by people in schools, primary schools, secondary schools, higher education. So that, that's the that's the one thing I think I've engaged with most, and I've become a bit of an acolyte, I suppose, having given a number of presentations with some of the people working in decoding disciplines about how it's practiced in my discipline in in the UK. And uh, that, that's, that's where I'm, I'm heading to next November. There's a Decoding the Disciplines conference just before we go to the iSOTL conference in Utrecht. And I'll be talking about the ways in which the Linking Pedagogic Theory to Practice module that Earl and I teach together has actually been structured around SOTL and how Decoding the Disciplines has been part of its structure for the last seven years.
2: For me, I think the thing that I have found most enjoyable, although a challenge at the same time, has been my engagement and involvement with the ISOTL writing groups, international writing groups. For many who are new to SOTL, that Peter and myself discuss on the linking pedagogic theory to practice module, they have to grapple with new ways of doing. There's a shift in the ways that they work. And for me, writing in Sottil was a real bottleneck challenge. So being part of a community of writers who are coming from – well, we're all tasked with writing an article, but adopting critical lenses from different cultural or discipline Points of view. One thing I didn't mention right at the start my discipline effectively is clinical anatomy, but largely within sports science. So I deal a lot with sport and the bottlenecks that I've had to deal with in terms of my writing, but is also explaining to students who want to play sport as opposed to study sport how do we engage. So a lot of my work that I've done has actually been bouncing ideas off a globalized writing group, and then bringing that shared best practice back into the way that I work. So, for example, Peter and myself have rethought, reimagined the module, linking Pedagogic Theory, so that the assignment actually goes through or adopts the five pillars of doing good subtle that I mentioned previously, uh, authored by Felton. So, it's really about the writing, but at the same time, applying Knowledge in new ways, but bringing on board and having informal chats like this with colleagues that may potentially be new to SOTL and the ability to share experience after having a journey travelled. But I'm still very much as I'm still very much involved in trying to travel this journey, and hopefully by the end of the year I'll be able to submit a PhD through articles where SOTL is the golden thread that is tying the six articles as a cohesive bunch. But that's been a bottleneck itself, so it's wonderful to bounce these ideas off. Discovering subtle opens options, but also opens obstacles. And I often find that troublesome at times, having to challenge disciplinary discourse with that of subtle.
1: Just before I say anything further, could I ask if you could very quickly Whoever would like to take this, explain what a bottleneck is.
3: I'll just do a very quick description. It's something that anybody would find troublesome. There is troublesome knowledge. And sometimes you find it difficult to, and uh, sorry, I'm going to use probably the wrong sort of terminology, but master a concept or a skill. And it needs practice. Because when you're trying to do something and you're moving from one area of ability, being a novice, to the other, being an expert. It's not always straightforward. And there are maybe more than one bottleneck to, to go through. It might mean that you are able to do it just by a fluke or, you know, beginner's luck. But it might not mean that you've got the deep knowledge to be able to do it in perpetuity. And so it's for the teacher and the student to work together to be able to work through these bottlenecks. And the way to do that is to break down the task into its component parts so that you give people the confidence to be able to move through the various bottlenecks to move from novice to expert. I'll give you an example. One that I use is that um, when I'm asking people to look at a piece of 17th century art, it's not always straightforward for them to see anything other than the objects within the picture and they will describe it rather than contextualizing it to think of it as a product of propaganda or of uh, an illustration of global trade uh, and so on and so forth so it's about uh, making someone have the confidence and the ability to become au fait and be able to master concepts in whatever the discipline is
1: listening to this, you may already have accessed our Padlet, so the iSeek Padlet, and you'll see that there are recordings of meetings we've had. And for one of those meetings, I was interviewed by David Pace, who of course is a master of decoding the discipline. And I think what you were saying, um, the idea of if you do something easily the first time, you perhaps don't understand the steps, was certainly a sensation that I got. And I, again, coming back to my my first answer of why I think subtle is important in higher education is that for someone like me, who got how to play the game, I wasn't always necessarily aware of the rules. And so since I've been teaching, that's become more explicit. And I think that's kind of like, there's two things that I've found really useful or absolutely adored when I'm engaging through subtle. And one of those is how much I work with my students. And how important my students are, because I've discovered that actually when I have, when I see that they're having a problem, really, it's not that they have a problem, it's that I have a problem and that it's time for me to sit down and always say, like, am I explaining this correctly? Let's really get to the root of where the issue is lying And where should we, how can I reframe this and rework my words to make it more effective and more useful? So I've absolutely loved being able to really engage with my students. I mean, literally the other day, I ended up on the same bus as my students, which, you know, in theory is a nightmare. In practice, bless. My two students were sat there and I was like, can I ask you a weird question? And they were like, okay. And I was like, what learning formats do you think are most effective for you? And they gave really brilliant, in-depth answers that were so self-aware and so intelligent. And I would also like to say that I'd, I'd previously taught them the other module uh, in another module and had asked them to do a lot of self-reflection on their own learning and what they need. So I'd like to think I had a little part to play, but they were so insightful and so intelligent and so clear in how they expressed themselves. And I was like, this, this is what I love. I love having these moments. And I think this is definitely one of the most useful thing I found that like I was allowed to have my students on, on my side, as it were, and not see that there's a barrier between the, us, but that we are working together. The other thing, and again, if you've listened to any of our recordings, you have heard me interview Dr. Theo Gilbert, who is um, someone who's very learned in the area of compassionate pedagogy. I happened to accidentally be sitting next to him when I was in the visiting lecturer's office and just got into a conversation and he told me about using compassion in the classroom. And I was like, what? I always thought that this was like this soft skill that no one really cares about and it's important to me and I care about it, but no one does. And after talking to him, I started using that in the classroom and it was one of the most powerful tools that I think I've ever used. And it was, yeah, it just, it opened up. And again, it meant that I um, I really felt that my students were engaging very authentically uh, with what they were learning and also building very good connections between themselves as a set. So yeah, those are my my two favourite things. I always just find everything so exciting when I'm learning. Uh, yeah, I'm an avid learner, which is why I like subtle because it means I never have to stop learning. Even whilst I'm teaching, I can do it both. I guess the, the sort of final question I'd have is, what one thing do you, do you like your listeners to take away in regard to subtle? If there's one thing you just wish they knew, what would you like that to be?
2: Well, my take on that is there's a lot of work that is um, emerging now. And the title of that work is The Courage to subtle. In other words, who's brave enough to actually engage with subtle? Because subtle can be a lonely field at times where you may be the only one within your faculty engaging in subtle, but the value of subtle can transform and enhance the student experience. So the message is it's never too late, never too old, never too unspoken to get started. And it may just be an informal chat in the passage. So start out in order to get to the scholarship of teaching and learning, you need to start a few steps back. So scholarly learning, inquiry, reading the research, applying it, seeing, what happens. So, initially, we may have to start off as a consumer and then eventually move to be the producer of, of um, subtle. But I'll leave you with a quote, or an ins- I don't know if it's inspiring, but it's a quote in my eyes. It's not only about doing things better. It's not only about improving the way we work. But subtle helps us to do better things. We transform how we think about learning, teaching, and the nexus with research as well. So it's about being able to understand what matters most. And I would encourage those that listen to engage actively with our seek, and through our seek, get involved with outreach and be involved in being the champion to sow the subtle seeds within your course your department, your higher education centre.
1: Peter, what would you like, the one thing that people should know?
3: Okay, well, it, actually, it is an extension of, of Earl's point, and that is that there is, there is room for everyone in Sottle. Uh, I'll use my own example, and that is for decades, I've been working on what I call cultural diversity and curriculum development, and that is in order to better reflect Uh, research in the subject and people's needs. And it's to do with social justice, a whole number of things that now have been encapsulated by since 2015 or so, decolonizing the curriculum, diversifying the curriculum. And I I found that there are a whole number of people who won't call it that, decolonizing, just as, you know, I I I still look at the roots and and the different elements of anti-racist education. But but there's so many interesting things going on across the world that you can become involved in quite an interesting network where you are learning yourself about practice elsewhere. So the idea that SOTL is a worldwide movement is really very enticing and you can quickly become uh, involved in a network. So uh, what I'd say is Join up with SOTL because, in doing so, you can become part of a network and actually you can help SOTL to become what it really should be an evolving, dynamic, and even more challenging institution than it Peter, is I think you want to excuse me of being
1: a provocateur, and I, I will throw that straight back out to you. Um, what a brilliant way um, for you to end and a nice challenge for people, a bit of a throwing down of the gauntlet to come along and then join us. Honestly, I think the, the thing I wish people knew is that. Taking part in subtle has made my teaching so much easier. I think people often think, oh, no, it's more that I have to do. And for for my money, you're probably already doing it. I know very few teachers who have not, over their experience, reflected on what they do and tried new things and know what works for their classroom and know what works for their students and understand their subject. Um, And really all I needed to do was step back and and think about the little things that I do and the difference that they make and then just put them within a framework so that I can more clearly understand why they work and how I can improve upon them, expand upon them or integrate them into all the methods um, of teaching that I do. So I would love people to realise, that actually, I think subtle really helps me sort of, you know, work, works like intelligently, not too hard. It makes me know where I need to put most of my endeavors um, and critically engage with what I need to improve. So that would be my one takeaway. It's going to make your life a lot easier. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be having interviews with other practitioners. I may well be inviting Earl and Peter both together or separately back to talk about uh, the specific areas in which they excel. Um, but we are planning on having an interview with Dr. Theo Gilbert about compassion-based pedagogy, and um, where you can listen to me nerd out. If and um, beyond the podcast, you're interested in engaging with iSeq or the Impactful Subtle Education Enterprise Collective, which is based at the University of Hertfordshire, you can do so by joining us in one of our online meetings. I will put Put um, contact details about how you can contact us to get a link to that. I will also put in the um, podcast information the link to our Padlet where we have recordings of previous meetings, information about upcoming meetings, and then generally some useful information about uh, the collective. So I think the last thing to say after all that lovely shameless promotion is just to say a huge thank you to have uh to earl and peter for joining us on this first episode um, and to introducing you to some of the ideas around subtle and to why this podcast i seek and subtle in general be so useful to you so thank you ever so much Earl. thank you ever so much peter